Hi folks, welcome again to another episode of Pro Football in the 1970s. I'm your host, Joe Zagorski. Now, thanks to the Sports History Network, a signed copy of my new book, The 2003-Yard Odyssey, The Juice, The Electric Company, and an Epic Run for a Record, will be given away to one lucky fan. It's all about the 1973 Buffalo Bills. Please check out the Sports History Network online for details on how you can win a free copy of my new book on the 1973 Buffalo Bill. Thanks a lot for listening in to today's episode, folks. Look forward to chatting with you again soon in the future. Take care. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello once again sports fans and welcome to this edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. I'm your host Dana Augusta. And just a reminder that if you like what you hear here and what you check out, please give us a shout out or hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. We really, really appreciate it here. And on today's episode, we're going to be continuing our discussion on the 75 greatest players in NBA history as voted on by the fans, by media, by former players and coaches. And joining me in that discussion once again is Mark Booty and Charles Combs as we talked about in our last episode, we talked about the guards that made the list. Now in this episode, we're gonna pay more attention to the guys that's on the front line the forwards and the centers that made the list and most notably some that didn't make the list and we got into discussions on quite a few of them that were both deservedly on the list and some not deservingly on the list and vice versa and just sit back relax and enjoy the show i really had a great time talking with these guys these guys are very knowledgeable sport nba fans not only knowledgeable and passionate about their teams and their favorite players, but also passionate about the history of the game. So I really appreciated those guys sitting in on me, sitting in with me on this past episode. And sit back, relax, and check it out. You're listening to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast right here on the Sports History Network. The Pigskin Tales Podcast is all about the lesser-known pro football players. Yes, there are stories about the ones we know, like Brad Tarkenton and Harold Red Grange. But have you ever heard of Ernie Nevers? How about Dave Osborne or even Grady Alderman? These men created their own path to the NFL. How did they do it? Listen to the Pigskin Tales podcast. Now streaming on your favorite music platform. Go to pigskintails.com.
Hello, once again, and welcome to this edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, where we are talking about the NBA 75th anniversary once again. This is part two of a discussion that I'm having with two students of the game. I would say two very, very close friends of mine that are not only passionate fans about the NBA, but also students of his history and very knowledgeable fans. And that's what we have here on this podcast. Very knowledgeable people that know exactly what they're talking about. Once again, introducing them both. Um, Two very, very close friends of mine, um, Charles Combs and Mark Booty, both of them coming in. And tonight, on our last edition, on our last podcast, our last show, we talked about the guards that were part of the 75th anniversary team. And we, and it got was in some of the things that we talked about was very, very groundbreaking and very, interesting in the conversation the interesting parts of this conversation will continue most definitely when we talk about the front line we're talking about the forwards and the centers that are part of the 75th anniversary team and just to give you a little over overview of it i mean there are a few people on this list guys that are questionable to say the least as was all this um and I'm just going to go through, and again, we're not going to talk about the obvious ones. We're not going to talk about guys like Larry Bird or Tim Duncan or Kevin or, or you know, or Elvin Hayes or Larry Bird or, or people like that. You know, LeBron James. These guys are pretty much on the list, you know, but we, we're also going to talk about some guys that are kind of questionable. And um, Mark, I'm going to start with you. Who on this the, the the forwards list that you think is kind of questionable? Well, man, let me tell you something. I went through the list and I really didn't have a problem with, with, with that position. I was more concerned that there were guys that were left off the list. Okay. Uh, like, uh, like your, uh, your Chris Mullen, small forward left off the list was on, uh, you know, the dream team. Uh, with Jordan, all those guys, uh, and then you know a guy like Vince Carter. Uh, I, that was the only thing I could come up with. I really had no beef with uh, the seventy-five players that they hit. They, I just didn't understand. I, I wouldn't put those guys in to replace anybody because I kind of liked the list the way it was. Mm-hmm. Um, only because in recent years, uh, it seems like everybody. You know, your power forwards play more like small forwards. Uh, right. Which is why a lot of what you see in the NBA as far as rebounding is horrible. <laughs> All right. So that was my beef with it. I really, like, I was really Gucci with, uh, you know, the, uh, the, from, the from the list that I saw. Right. And, and you said, you know, I, I, I agree with you with Chris Mullen. I, I definitely agree with you. I totally forgot about Vince Carter. I'm gonna be honest. I forgot about Vince Carter, um, and he's very deserving on the to be on the list. I have, like, I, like I said before, there's one player that's on this list, and I think that Charles is gonna agree with me on this. The one player that's on this list that I don't think that should be on the list is Anthony Davis. Ooh, I I wrote that down, and I think that's what I wanted to say was Anthony Davis. Way too soon for him to be on that list. Injuries and everything, you know. And, and with Anthony Davis, as great as he was, you know, with the Pel- I mean, he, injuries have been a problem as well as inconsistent play. 
you know, I mean, he has his problems. I mean, he had he had issues with injuries, especially to his legs, and it also, you know, is inconsistent play, especially with LeBron and the Lakers trying to acclimate himself to play with LeBron and, and, and things like that. That might be his biggest his biggest deal. There are several others, a couple more that's on the list that I question, but I, I can see that they could be on the list. One is Carmelo Anthony. You know, you know, and as, as that's one. And the other one is Kevin Durant. You know, but he's on the list, and I can see why he's on the list. But I kind of at times could question it. You know, Chuck, I'm gonna let you come chime in because we haven't had a chance to hear from you yet. Um, what uh, you know, are there any guys that's on the list that shouldn't be on the list, or who is you think that should be placed on the list that's not there? Well, you know me, um, I definitely have a couple of problems, one, one, one glaring problem and another possible and kind of, I want to kind of follow uh, Mark's approach in terms of also some people that were left off of this and you're just like, ah, I just don't know. Now, you kind of stole my thunder right there at the end, Dana. Carmelo Anthony, in my opinion, definitely should not be on the list. Absolutely not. Unequivocally not. You know what I mean? Because he's just a player, like kind of Mark kind of alluded to in the last episode, where if you look at the numbers, you're like, wow, great, great numbers. But if you watch the games, it's kind of like, you know, he it's kind of like he just doesn't do anything conducive to winning. You know, like, for example, you know what I mean? I've seen him many games where, okay, they're down two in the fourth, and they need a stop in order to get the ball back and possibly tie the game. Mm. Ball comes off the rim, they get the stop. 50-50 ball, he always finds a way to not get it every <laughs> single time. You know, just those plays that don't necessarily show up in the stat sheet, but you got to make those plays if you want to win games and conversely win championships. Now, as far as his replacement is concerned, I have four names. And I, I forgot about Chris Mullen because I assumed that he was on the original 50 since he was on the dream team. But I got my, my two front runners, Adrian Dantley, Bernard King, you know. And I know he had the knee injury and all of that, but the man averaged 42 a game with the flu against the Pistons. And he took the world. 1983, the Eastern Conference semifinals in 83. Yep. I remember that. Yeah, took him seven. Yeah, Bird and. Parrish and McHale won the championship over Magic and Kareem. He took them seven games with right. the Knicks, and his next best player was... So that was 84. You were 84. <laughs> now, excuse me, I was 84. Not 83, it was 84. Go ahead. And then also, also a couple of cats I want to show some love to is Tracy McGrady and um, Alex English as well. Now, both of you brought up Vince Carter. I think he's more of a top 100 player. Me personally... I think McGrady was the better player out of the two of them, even though, you know, he was the Robin when they both were in Toronto together. But I think once he left, left um, Toronto, he kind of um, surpassed Vince as far as like, you know, because Vince, as good as great as he was, he still has a what could have been to his career. He didn't quite reach the um, the levels that we thought he would reach. Now, really quickly, I don't have a problem with Kevin Durant because he's getting buckets no matter what area you put him in. He, he should be on that. You, you're probably going to bite my head off with this one. 
Paul Pierce to me, you know, cause, you know, cause it was always like when him and Antoine Walker were together, they didn't really have a lot of team success. And I think also what we got to factor in as well is if it's, if it's cold, if, it, if it's rainy and you or Mark have been at work all day and it's a Tuesday night, are you leaving work early to go see Paul Pierce play? I don't think so. Hell no. The other Hell no. 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 I'm a Celtic <laughs> fan, and I'm not doing that. Conversely, <laughs> Trace McGrady, um, Bernard King, Vince Carter especially, you'll take the day off to ensure that you're there in time to watch them play on the other hand. You know what I mean? And I also think that the 2008 championship gave him – too big of a rub because prior to that, I think they may have been the one Eastern Conference final. And then you remember that it was kind of rumored when Kobe was unhappy with the Lakers that they were talking about getting pairing him with um, Chris Webber and Tracy McGrady. Now imagine that trio circa 2006, how many championships they would have won. You know what I mean? So those are my issues. That's interesting. I mean, the whole Tracy McGrady aspect of the argument is, I mean, I agree with you to a point when it comes down to comparing <laughs> to to comparing how good Tracy McGrady. Now, Tracy McGrady to me was a better all around player. Maybe if you squint hard enough, compared to Vince Carter. You know, Vince Carter was more of the was more of the gate attraction mm-hmm. than than Tracy McGrady was. Though Tracy McGrady was incredibly great, um, but I think that I think that the one thing about Tracy McGrady that that rubs people the wrong way, unfortunately, is the fact that he's played for so many different teams over the years, and he doesn't have that one signature moment in the postseason. Now, he did have that that, that game one year in Houston where he scored, like, the final 11 points in, like, a minute or so, um, but that was a regular season, a throwaway regular season game, but he didn't really have a lot of, I would say, a, a, a signature moment in the postseason, you know, Vince Carter, not really either, even when he was with Toronto. And then after he left Toronto, he kind of got lost, you know. So I think that that's the reason why. I give you another name. I give you now. Now, Alex English, I definitely agree with. He should be on the list. You know, you talk about a guy that could drop 50 points, you don't even know it. And he was the Denver Nuggets in the 1980s. You know, him and Dan Nilsson, which was on his last legs with 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 the Nuggets, you know, and your favorite player, Chuck Winston Garland was on that team and Calvin Nat and those guys. But it was but it was Alex English that was part of that squad. <laughs> you know, and one of my all-time favorite players that's not on the list, unfortunately. And this I think that he is in that Tracy McGrady category, and that's Sean Kemp. He's not on the list. And I think that once he left Seattle for reason or reasons unknown. Um, he kind of got lost. He basically became a shadow of what he once he had been when he was with the Sonics, and uh, you know those are the guys that you know. And one more guy, 
that I forgot about and we all forgot about, and I think that the reason was because he was injured so often was Grant Hill. Ah, yeah. You know, and he was because he could have been he could have been on this list very easily had it not been for all of the injuries. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Um, kind of Mark, what, what what do you think about you know his you know his um retort? Well, I mean, or even what I said. Um. Grant Hill and see, I, I'd written that down earlier because I was hoping we'd get to the issue of uh, the 2007 Phoenix Suns, uh, which Grant Hill was a part of. Uh, but uh, no, I I agree. Uh, uh, Sean Kemp uh, definitely. Uh, I think he should have been there. Um, uh, when I, I, I was and I, I want to say somebody, you're probably gonna get mad at me, and probably. Do, Whoever listens to this is going to curse me, Lord, and a dog, but I don't like Dennis Rodman. Ooh, well. Look, look, now hear me out. Now, here's the thing. I honestly don't have a problem with that. I don't. He was great, he was great with the Pistons. He's great with the Bulls. Both strong supporting cast. With, like, without those teams, we don't know who Dennis Rodman is. Yeah, he wasn't a scorer. He, uh, no. That's the dog on shore. He was not a scorer. He was a defensive. You know, he was the guy that you put on your best, on, on the opposing team's best player. You put Dennis Rodman on now. Well, well, if you think about it, it's, it's you know, we all went through it as kids when we played basketball. And you had that one kid who thought he was playing football. He was rough. He couldn't shoot. But you put him on there, he could play D. He'd probably fall out. That like I really didn't like Dennis Rodman on the list. That's okay. interesting. That's interesting. Now I don't have a problem with it because now I think we need to even emphasize this even more. You know, like not being a scorer, I think that applies to players to like you know Michael Cooper and Bobby Jones. You know, they're known yeah. as defensive players, but they can still get you bigger points. Whereas Dennis Rodman is. He getting to a game, you know. Like, come on, man, you gotta, yeah. you gotta get more in the bucket a game. How many, how many darn rebounds you get? You gotta get me more in the bucket. You gotta get me more in the bucket a game. Now, I completely disagree with you guys about Sean Kemp. I just think you can't get you can't get sit home in back to back postseasons by Brian Stiff and Anthony Peeler. You just can't. You know, you you, you can't. You know what I mean? I think he's top one hundred, but I, 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 you know, I just, I just, I just, you know, have have a problem with that. And then to bolster my Tracy McGrady argument, he was up three one on the Pistons, who went on to win the championship with Darren Armstrong running the point. Mm, right. One two games, one three games with that scrub. You know, so right. and I like Darren Armstrong, but come on, you know. Now, 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 Chuck. You says you you one one person that you, you that you that you just said was Adrian Dandley, and with the Pistons and early on in his career with the Jazz, people kind of forget yeah. how good he was. You know, is I mean, he, I'm more along the lines of him being top 100. Yeah, I mean, he's not 
75, but he's definitely top 100. You know, if you extend the list out for the extra 25, he's on that list. But people forget how good he really was. You know, Bernard King is another one. Um, those two guys, you know, you think of, you know, you think of the Knicks of the, of the 80s pre-Patrick Ewing. He was the Knicks. And, I mean, we talked about briefly that performance that he had against the Pistons in 84, you know, but I think another, the reason why people don't talk about um, Bernard King as much, again, is the injuries, you know, the injuries were a major part of his, you know, he, he was still great. Whenever he was healthy, he was great. But as far as him being, that's another one that's in the, you know, extended 20, you know, the, the extended top 100, you would, you could say. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, the ones that I have that, you know, that were, in my opinion, honorable mention, Alex English, Sean Kemp, Chris Mullen, Grant Hill, Vince Carter, and Bernard King. Those are the guys that I that definitely were honorable mention that you should be at least mentioned. Um, you talk about some guys on the list, you know, going to, now we're going to go kind of new school on this. Giannis Antetokounmpo is on the list. Do you think that's too soon or that's just basically in the wake of him winning a championship? I think he should be, in my opinion. Uh, I tell you what, if he's a better outside shooter, he's shooting for the list. But for me, is it a, he should be on the list, but I'm, I'm hesitant to put him there, but he's definitely on the list. But I think, he won the championship in the super team era in Milwaukee. You know what I mean? And, that, I yeah, and we, that's saying something. I like, that's, that's a point that I hadn't thought of. He won it in a major market, super team era of the NBA, and a, in one of the smallest markets in the NBA, which is correct. saying then, something. And then also most of the our, our respective lifetimes – you know, the majority of the championships are um, Raleigh, Casey Jones, Daly, Phil Jackson, um, Popovich. Yeah. And the man won the championship with Coach Bud. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's not going to be on anybody's Hall of Fame as a coach. He, 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 won, he won with him. Um, what, what, what are you guys' thoughts, thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had Chris Middleton, and we started in pretty much in this – postseason this past postseason for the bucks you know they missed chris middleton they really missed him and uh because i think if chris middleton was there it would be the the bucks and the heat in the in the eastern conference finals right now um and and again i'm i'm a celtic fan and i'm saying this and this is the the truth um missing chris middleton was you know was was difficult for him and you know, and Giannis did as much as he possibly could to get that team to the finals. And you can't, you know, and with him being a freak of nature, pretty much with him being as big as he is, as nimble as he is, athletic as he is. And if he developed an outside shot, he could be, he could be dangerous, you know, going forward. And I think that you've seen in this, this, this past season and postseason, you kind of seen him do that, you know, with, you know, extend out with the, you know, with the three point range. And if he gets consistent with that, then all bets are off. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of, I kind of, 
I kind of agree. I kind of agree with that, you know, because he's he he was a great player. Now, I I think one of uh, Mark's picks, quick, both of you, Grant Hill. Yeah, I know his greatness didn't have the most longevity, but sometimes you can be even if it's a short time, you can be so great. You know, a la Bill Walton, um, you know, Gail Sayers in football. You can right. be so great that even if it wasn't, didn't have the longevity, you got to put him in there. And I honestly think a great case can be made for Grant Hill in that regard. Despite right. the injury, he still 75 because when he was on, he was just that, that great, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, so you got some of the older guys that's on here, uh, Rick Barry from the 70s, you know, who was, you know, everybody knows him with the granny shot at the free throw line, but he also has the highest free throw shooting percentage in NBA history. Uh, he also has the highest points, well, points per game total in NBA finals history in, in a loss. Um, in the 67 finals against Philadelphia, he averaged something like 39 a game in a loss. Um, you know, Billy Cunningham, the, you, everybody know him as a coach for the Sixers in the 80s, but he was a really great player for the Sixers back, back in the day. Uh, Kevin Garnett was on the list. Um, you know, looking down the list, um, uh, two guys that was, that made the list this year, but was not on the list in the, in the 50 year, was Bob McAdoo and Dominique Wilkins. Now, what are y'all thoughts of Dominique? Oh, man. Um, I mean, he was great to watch, um, uh, especially in, in that era with the Clyde Drexlers and Michael Jordans. Um, and they had a pretty good team at that time. But, um, I mean, the most I could, I could talk about uh, Dominique Wilkins was, you know, slam dunk contest and <laughs> Atlanta Hawks just being horrible. <laughs> well, one thing about the Hawks teams with Dominique, and I'm going to let Chuck chime in in a sec, was that that team had, that team was just, had a lot of talent, but it just mm-hmm. didn't have that one cohesive player that can get it, make it all fit together, I think, because. You had Dominique Wilkins, you had Spud Webb, you had Doc Rivers, you had Kevin yep. Willis, you know. We had other pieces there. Mike Fratello was the coach. And they had some playoff runs, most notably in 88, when they, yep. were, they went up against Larry Bird and the Celtics, and Dominique dropped, like, what, 45? And he scored, like, what, the last 25 in that epic duel with Larry Bird? which pretty much solidified his place in the Hall of Fame because if you go back and watch that game, just the second half of that game, mm-hmm. you see how great Dominique Wilkins was. Mm-hmm. And because every time Bird hit a three, Dominique came back and hit a three of his own. And it, they went back and forth between the two. And, of course, they just they, they didn't have enough firepower to contend with Bird and McHale and Parrish and Ainge and Dennis Johnson and those guys. You know, granted, the, the Hawks were good outfit but they wasn't up to the Celtics level in the no, Eastern Conference in the mid late all. 80s. Yeah. And if you, now, you think about as far but, as uh, oh, oh go, go ahead, ahead go ahead Mark. Well it's no it's, you go ahead Mark I'm the, the, the Celtics at that time were almost like you know certain teams 
uh, in college basketball. You know, may not have that great of winning record, but when it came to tournament ball, they mm. were they were powerful. And and that was I remember the Celtics like that, man. It, you you did not want to play them, especially when it came down the finals. You didn't want to play them. Yeah. Now, for me. <laughs> I know you guys are probably about to bash my head in, and I'm sure my years, Dana and I have been friends. He's probably heard this argument at least once. I felt that not only if Dominique should have been on the 75, I felt that he should have been on the 50. Yeah, I you believe know, that too. Because yeah, I, yeah. I believe that a, as well, yeah. Because, you know, like in the 80s, you know, Dr. J and Kareem, kept the NBA alive, and then when, when, when Magic and Bird came on the scene, that's when it exploded into popularity. Now, revisionist history will have you to believe that Magic and Bird alone saved the entire league, but they had a whole plethora of um, support and stars that helped expand it, too. You know, and Dominique, Isaiah Thomas, um, you know, Mark Aguirre, oh, wow. um, you know, players like and I think in a lot of times in the mid-80s, the, they were horrible for referring to the Hawks for a few years, but they were perennial 50-game winners. Like in the late 80s, they were perennial 50-game winners. And I feel the biggest travesty was when they announced the Dream Team, he was one of the catalysts that had gotten the NBA up to the point where they had began to have international appeal. And Scottie Pippen had only had one good playoff one in running 91 and had just won a championship and they put him on the dream team ahead of Dominique, which I felt was just totally wrong. And I just felt that he's, he was the better player because Dominique was leading his franchise. Whereas, you know, Scottie Pippen, if he didn't have such a good game, they could still win because he had Jordan, whereas the fortunes of the Hawks solely rested on Dominique. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a great point because, and you think about too, I mean, the Hawks, you know, growing up, I used to watch the Hawks all the time because that was the only NBA team that we really saw growing up in Louisiana during the early 80s. And Dominique was the only thing they really had, you know, at that time. You know, you had guys like Tree Rollins and John Conkack and Cliff Livingston. I mean, they weren't, they weren't setting the world on fire, to say the least. But when they got guys like Doc Rivers and Spud Webb and Kevin Willis, you know, to join Dominique, they became a perennial 50-game-a-year winning team, and they would beat teams in the Eastern Conference back then, the powers in the Eastern Conference, the Detroits of the world, the mm-hmm. New York Knicks, the Boston State, they get the run. I mean, the, the when the Bulls and Hawks played, that was pretty much, you know, that was the, the game of the week. You know, with those guys, when Dominique going up against Michael Jordan, you know, that was the game of the week back in the day. And that was – and Dominique finally making the list, I think, is kind of justified. The other guy, Bob that Bob McAdoo, if for guys – for people who don't know, Bob McAdoo was the Kevin Durant of the 1970s. He was Kevin Durant of the 1970s because he's a guy that's 6'10", but could shoot from the outside and was a dominating scorer. You know, with those Buffalo Braves teams of the mid-70s with Ernie DeGregorio and Marvin and Marvin Webster and those guys, um, uh, Randy Smith, um, they made it to back-to-back 
Eastern Conference Finals appearances in the mid-70s, once against Washington and the next year against Boston. And they lost both of them. But the Braves was a great, great team who ended up, of course, becoming the L.A. Clippers. But Bob McAdoo is, was the catalyst of that team back in, back in those years. Before we move on to centers, gentlemen, do we have any other arguments or anything else that we want to add before we turn the page from the forwards? Well, I had, okay, so, and I had to throw this in there <laughs> because I separated from, you know, small forward to power forward because uh, uh, Paul Gasol. Okay. And, and Amari Stoudemire. Well, Mark, I was kind of on the fence. Had he stayed combined with with um, combined with Steve Nash, they were they could have been the uh, Dr. Malone of Y two K. You know, they yeah. could have been. They well, could have been, it, but you know, with 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 Stoudemire, it just wasn't consistently enough. You know, he had that yeah. few years that was just kind of, you know. That were that were really all star laden team, but the the problem with the Suns was that they just couldn't advance in the playoffs far enough. Well, I mean, like I said, in two thousand seven, the uh, the hip check incident on Steve Nash, right? That happened in San, like. Oh, I really yeah. hated San Antonio that I, season. I, I, I see you're better, Mark. <laughs> I, I was mad. I was mad, but I mean, look at the team they had. They had uh, Sean Marion. Barbosa, Rajah Bell, Boris Dial, Grant Hill, um, and and I think that's when um, Stoudemire had uh, had come off the bench um, and got uh, suspended for a game, and we ended up losing the next game because of that. Right. Which is then next year we yeah. went and got Shaq on the team. Yeah, which kind of threw everything out of whack when even that happened. Yeah. Well, um. I got a follow-up question for Mark and a, and a comment. Um, mm-hmm. First, the, you know, Tom Chambers. You know, you know, what about him? Because, you know, he's he was kind of like that 16 power forward that could shoot outside a little bit, um, finish, insane finisher around the rim, could run the court really well. And then also follow-up question for you, Mark. As far as Gasol and... Um, Stoudemire, are they? Are you saying that they're kind of like your honor mentioned, or do you have a couple of guys in mind that you would move out in favor of them? Uh, no, that's that's kind of honorable mention. Um, Gasol because okay. he, one, he he I think he kind of put international players on the map with what he did there, and plus he could double as a center. Um, uh, he he was. Uh, I know Kobe. <laughs> Kobe loved having him there. Um, what uh, rookie of the year, two thousand two, the first international player. Uh, he kind of mm-hmm. set the bar. Uh, um, so uh, I, I almost, I almost would like to see him in in the top seventy five. I, I I don't have anybody that I replace him with, but I mean, uh, I, I I really was rooting. I really would have liked to see him. Stoudemire was more of an honorable mention because um, I was a fan of Phoenix that that time, and they had so much hope for him. Um, and I, 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 I 
expected them to win the championship in 2007. Um, but uh, that was a horrible series. Bad, <laughs> bad, bad officiating. If you go back and watch it, horrible officiating, man. It's like they everybody and their grandmama wanted San Antonio. Yeah. Well, I mean, Chuck, you mentioned <laughs> Tom Chambers. And you, you, you would be remiss if you did not mention one of the greatest facial dunks in NBA history when he went over Mark Jackson. You know, oh, yeah. that was mm-hmm. the greatest in-your-face facial dunks of all time when you talk about Tom Chambers. And when you hear Tom Chambers' name, you think of him, of course, when he was with Phoenix and before that with, with Seattle. You talk about a guy that could have rivaled Michael Jordan in a dunk contest if he wanted to. You know, he was just that athletic, but at 6'10". Now, of course, you're not going to give a, somebody that's 6'10", at that time, you know, a chance in the dunk contest. But it would have been interesting to see if he would have competed in the dunk contest against the likes of Jordan and Drexler, you know, what he would have, how, how he would have been, you know, how he would have made out, you know. But one of the great finishers open court finishers of all time that I don't think gets enough credit, I think. Yes. Yeah. But you you remember when it was um he Dale Ellis and Xavier McDaniel all averaging 25 plus a piece in the same season. And I have a question for Mark, since you seem to be well versed on the Suns at that particular time. Was the hip check game and Stoudemire being suspended for game seven was that the exact same playoff run that when I want to say it was game seven, please correct me if I'm wrong, when Steve Nash had to come out of the game due to a busted nose and they couldn't get the bleeding to stop and the game yeah. kind of got away from That was from it. Them. Yeah, that you're was right. That was, that was, that was, that was that first same game. That was it. Against San Antonio. Okay. Okay. You're right. In 07, yeah. Because I, I, at that point, I was like, like with every other NBA fan that, that you, you – you basically respect the, the Spurs, but you got tired of seeing them and you wanted yeah, someone new. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. I was, you know, rooting for Phoenix. You know, I, I, I'll admit it. I was rooting for Phoenix, but I was like, why do I get the feeling that the, that the Spurs are going to figure out a way to get to win this? And they did. I, I really didn't like Tony Parker. I don't know. Something with the weight. Look, <laughs> look, look, man, we can't, we got French in our blood from here, but. When that dude talked, man, it's, oh, my God. I just hated it. <laughs> I could not. But he could ball. Like, and that's when we didn't cover that. But, I mean, think about it. Tony Parker probably should have been on uh, on the list of guards. Yeah. So I, I yeah, couldn't stand him. Another great one. Yeah. Couldn't stand him. Hated, like, but it was like every time you saw him play, it was like, oh, my God. Somebody just take him out of the game. He's <laughs> <laughs> a torture boy. Oh God, he was—he was, he was just—he was amazing, bro. Like, but you love to hate him. Yeah. Okay, now, fellas, we're gonna move on to the centers. Now, from what I looked at, as far as like the centers is concerned, and you know, guys, y'all may have some questions about it. I really don't. The only question is, is that a lot of people are saying that Dwight Howard should have faded. I know we touched on this a little bit in our last conversation. But I wanted I wanted to go more in depth on this one about the White Howard. Um, do you think that as the uh, White Howard early in his career, what he did, you know, with Orlando, 
winning the dunk contest, winning, you know, going to the NBA Finals with a very substandard Orlando Magic team in 2010. Do you think that the way that the last part of his career is, 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 has made people unfairly judge Dwight Howard? I, I, I think so, because I have. I mean, I'll be the first to admit it. I was like, you know, uh, you know, looking at and, and you, you don't want to be that kind of guy to take into account what's going on in his personal life and 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 put that into what he's doing in basketball. But I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, I'm first to say that, you know, uh, I'm judging him unfairly. Me. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, I don't know. How about you, Charles? Um, I, I don't think I was because I was one of those people that have always felt that he was kind of criminally underrated because, you know, they started, he kind of, which was his own fault, he began to get this um, kind of label of being kind of aloof and not as passionate about winning and being the best he could possibly be as, as, as he should have been. But with that being said, I still think that, to your point, they kind of went overboard with it. And everyone seems like he's, he was like this kind of underachieving scrub when in Orlando, the guy was a monster. Now with that being said, as far as the centers themselves are concerned, I can't see a way that you can put him in there, but, you know, kind of, you know, referencing back to our previous discussion, I just felt he should have had Anthony Davis's spot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I agree with that. Uh, I, I do agree with that. I mean, you look at the guys on the list. I mean, you we, you know we're gonna talk, we go kind of segue from you know San Antonio, and David Robinson's on the list. Okay, before David Robinson got teamed up with Tim Duncan in San Antonio, the word that you kept hearing about the Spurs in the '90s, led by David Robinson, was that team was soft. Okay. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, a lot of the criticism that we labor on teams fairly or unfairly get placed upon the star player. You know, you had David Robinson, you had Sean Elliott on that team. Do you think that David Robinson was unfairly labeled as a soft player because of the Spurs' inability to win big games in the finals during the, uh, in the playoffs during the 1990s? It just felt like, I mean, regardless, and I can't just put this on the Spurs. My thought is the West lacked the physicality that teams in the Eastern Conference did. I mean, right. you, you had a lot of, I mean, the Celtics, the Pistons, the Bulls. Uh, you had a lot more physical teams in the East than in the West. Uh, y'all may, I, I can't think of one in that in, in that era that was really played physical basketball and I think that's kind of why, why, why it fell upon uh the Spurs then and uh with David Robinson yeah you know, think about the, the you know the West back then um the only physical team if you squint hard enough which is a term I like to use if you squint hard enough maybe the Jazz might have been might have been a more physical was was a more physical team or could have been as physical as those teams in the Eastern Conference like the Bulls like back then the the Heat or the Pacers or the Knicks for sure they were a very physical team dirty yeah. borderline dirty 
yeah. but still physical, you know. And David Robinson with the Spurs, I mean, you had great players on that team with him and Sean Elliott, but for some reason, the, they just – they kind of like was in 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 the middle of that, you know. They yeah. wanted to be physical. They had the means to be physical, yeah. but they really didn't want to be, you know, and that sort of thing. Well, and back then, you, I mean, look, look at teams like Golden State. I mean, those guys were putting up 120 points. Uh, they were scorers. They weren't, no, you know, none of those teams were known for great defense or physical defenses. So I think that's where, where that came in. Um, and then, but slowly but surely, they transitioned. Yeah. Chuck, what you think about David Robinson? Um, he certainly should be um, top 50, all of the accolades he deserves and all of that. And I just want to bring up this point before I go into answering your question. Everyone seems to overlook the fact that he played all four years at Navy, and then he he didn't try to get out of his two-year commitment to the Naval Academy. So he when he got to the NBA, what, he was like 23 already? So that was two prime years that he probably would have had, but he was in the Navy and all of that. But But to get to your question – um, I think I think he could be soft at times, you know, because I I can't blame him for the '95 final because the uh, level that Elijah Warren played at that year, other than Prime Wilt or Kareem, who could have dealt with that? Other than the other than the, and I mean Lou Alcindor in particular, who could have dealt with the level he played at that year? But I think he was soft, and uh, Mark kind of touched upon the Golden State series. Remember when they got eliminated and they went. Don Nelson went small, and they put Tom Tobert at center, and right. they bounced the Spurs from the playoffs. And it's like, come on, you can't lose. You can't lose to Tom Tobert in, in, in the finals. <laughs> and then you also came back here and got bounced by Kevin D- Duckworth. Now, Rod Strickland did throw the stupid behind-the-back pass in Game 7 overtime. But yeah. you have got to dominate. Um, you have got to dominate um, – uh, Kevin Kevin Duckworth. So about um, David Robinson. So that's how I feel about David Robinson. But I got another. I got a. Um, I got a question for both of you. Um, by the time this guy came to the NBA, he was a shell of what he once was. But he was still a very good player based on IQ and guile alone. But a lot of what you're seeing now, as far as like the individual players, this guy was the first guy. Along with Draz and Petrovic, because you know, prior to the two of them, European players were known as soft, mechanical, couldn't who couldn't do anything. But this yeah. guy and Draz and Petrovic changed the entire landscape. Mm. And then, secondly, this guy is the reason why the pros play international play to this day because he absolutely obliterated the '88 Olympic team in the '88 Olympics. And I'm 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 referring to Sabonis, even though he didn't have that success in the NBA because by the time he got there, he was well past his prime. But at his peak, had he been in the NBA, Portland would have certainly won some championships and he certainly would have been probably top 50, not only one top top 75. I tell my nephew and my stepson of how good Arvita Sabonis was. And I told him that he's basically across between Dirk Nowitzki and Shaq, okay? He's basically, that's what he was. <laughs> and 
imagine Shaq as big as Shaq is and as strong as Shaq is, could shoot three-pointers consistently like Dirk Nowitzki. That's scary. And you and, and I was thinking about this when I was looking at the list about, you know, yeah, I mean, but you know, with Arvita Sabonis and the, you know, and that 88 Soviet Union team might have been one of the greatest pre-dream team, one of the greatest basketball teams ever assembled. You had Arvita Sabonis, you also had Sarunas Marshallonas. You know, you had two guys that could have came into the NBA right then and there and been franchise players for somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's also you think of uh-huh. what would have happened if they were able to come to the NBA when they were drafted. You know, Chuck, you mentioned that Sabonis was drafted by Portland. Can you imagine what that Portland Trailblazers team would have been with, with also along with Drazen Petrovic? You know, and they would have rewrote the NBA record books had they came because there was nobody that could have dealt with Sabonis, along with Drexler and Kersey and, 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 and Duckworth and Cliff Robinson would have came off the bench most definitely. Yeah. But, you know, Sabonis is one name that a lot of the younger cats, they know his son. You know, they know his son. His son is pretty, he's a pretty decent player. But it's no, nothing like what his dad was. Nowhere near like what his dad was. Mm-hmm. And I think people people fail to tend to overlook that they made the finals twice in three years with Duckworth at center. Yes. So imagine you take off Duckworth, put him on. Now you got to overcome Rick Adelman because as much as I like Jerome Kersey, and I know he was a young player at the time, how did Drazen get zero burn? Yeah. It's, it's amazing to me, but um, – only Rick Alderman could do, the same guy that benched. Um, it's the same guy that benched Bobby Jackson and cost the them the 2002 yeah, finals yeah. against. Because yeah. I, I was a big Kings fan back then, and I'm still wondering like, about that. I used to he, love he the Kings. Wallace time. He wouldn't play. He had Gerald Wallace, Turkaloo ride the bench, and wouldn't play Bobby Jackson in favor of Pages Staryakovich and um and Doug Christie. Like, come on, man, you gave the series away, but it's he. And I know he do it in the NBA, but man, he's the reason why, like a lot of this, a lot of the international influx, the pros playing in the Olympics now, he's kind of the genesis of all of that. He had to be the genesis of that because he basically single-handedly, David Robinson was the player of the year in 1988, right before the Olympics. And he Mm -hmm. basically manhandled David Robinson. And they basically showed every all the pro play, all of the pro scouts, and all of the powers that be in the NBA. Okay, we need to put some of these NBA players in here because we because that that Soviet Union team, you know, the, the U.S. team was basically 18, 19, 20 year olds. The Soviet team was basically made up of men. These were guys that were like twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight years old. Okay, these were grown men that the U.S. team was playing against. And you saw that in that game, especially when the National Player of the Year, David Robinson, was basically destroyed by Arvita Sabonis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, wasn't, wasn't Alonzo Mourning on that team, too? I think, I, I know that 
Um, Dave Robinson was on the team. Um, Dan Marley was on that team. Um, that's the only ones that I could think of right off the top of my head. Morning might have been on that team. Alonzo Morning might have been on that team. You know, but I know for sure okay. David Robinson and Dan Marley was on that squad. Yes. Okay. And Charles, I'm glad you brought that name up. Thunder Dan? Cause that, cause no, no, no. Alonzo Morning. Okay. Because that's, look, seven, seven all-star, two all-NBA, two block champion, uh, Hall of Famer, two-time defensive player of the year, two-time all-defense. Uh, and I don't know. I hadn't seen. I don't know if he was on the list last, uh, the, the top 50 or what, but. I don't think he why was. Is, I don't why think he was. He, why isn't he on there? No. That's a great point. That's a great that, that that's another name that I actually I forgot about Alonzo Morning. And you know, as and you can't dispute everything that you said, you know, of all the firepower that Mark just brought with the stats and everything. You can't dispute all of that. You you can't. You know, you know, people forget that he hit the game winning shot for the Hornets' first ever postseason win when they beat the Celtic. He hit the game winner over Robert Parrish. Um, who's on the list? Um, and then he was the, the the centerpiece of that Miami Heat squad during the '90s with him and Tim Hardaway. So you you he was the centerpiece of two very very good teams during the decade of the 1990s. And um, and you wonder, okay, why isn't he on the list? I mean, he finally won a championship in toward toward the end with the Miami Heat, which was well deserved. Because uh, he had worked, he played for so long, you know, and, and it was very, very, very deserving for that. But at the same time, you know, you wonder why he's not on the list, and that, that's very interesting. Yeah, I don't. Um, it's, it, I, I'm, go ahead, Charles. No, no, you go ahead. Well, I, I had a question, but you go ahead first. Well, it's it's like you're saying, man. I I, I just it's, it's hard to understand this list. Um, uh, you know, what are they looking at? Are, are they looking at body of work? Uh, or, or you know that's why we you know we're talking about Guinness is he is he there too early um uh, uh and you know some guys that you know Charles thinks Dwight Howard I, like I don't I'd like to know who came up with this list okay now pair of questions then um first regarding morning do you guys think that his kidney issue because you know like smack dab in the middle of his spine he had the kidney yeah. issue, which kind of basically is prime. Did that kind of cost him first? And then secondly, now Dwight versus Morning. <sighs> Toss up, but okay, if he should be on the list, if Morning should be, who would who who would we remove? Would you Wes Unsel? No. Dave Collins? Absolutely uh, not. You cannot eliminate no. Wes Unsel. You <laughs> no. can't do that. Nah. <laughs> You know, the only one on the list, possibly, that you could eliminate from the centers is maybe Dave Cowens. Maybe. You know, he won back the one championship in the 70s with the Celtics, and he was the centerpiece of the, the, the Celtics' 70s squad championship teams. But he basically, midway through his career, in the middle of his prime, retired. Yeah. Unexpectedly just retired. Okay, and no one knew why. He just said, "You know what? I had nothing," and, and left. And 
you know, because he still had years left in his prime because he could have theoretically played with Bird in the early 80s, theoretically. But Dave Cowens is maybe the one that you kind of could take off the list, maybe, you know. But all the others, you can't you can't take off Nate Thurman. No, you can't. You can't take off Nate Thurman because another that's another center that not not a lot of people know about. He was the first player ever to record a quadruple double in a game. Okay, he had double digits in points, rebounds, assists, and block shots in one game, which is incredible. You know, and he played he was played for the for the Warriors in the seventies and then later with the Bulls and Bob Love. You know, with that, you know, but unfortunately, unfortunately for him, he never had a chance to win a championship with Golden State, which he basically was the anchor of for a decade. And then they got rid of him in the, in the year, before, year after they got rid of him, they won the NBA title. So, but everybody on the center's list, yeah, you could make us, you could say, okay, yeah, they definitely belong here. You know, guys yeah. like, you know, Bill Walton. Yeah, he had the injuries and stuff like that during his career. But that one year that he was healthy all the way through, the Blazers ended up winning the whole thing, you know, which was also their very first appearance ever in the NBA playoffs. Um, and everybody else on the list, guys like, you know, George Mike, and he was, a very, he was the NBA's first superstar, you know. You know, you ain't taking Wilt off, you know. Patrick Ewing. No. <laughs> you know, Patrick Ewing, you know, he was New York Knicks for over a decade. Yeah. You know, he was the centerpiece of that New York Knicks team, which I remember once upon a time, not so long ago, my friend here was a big Knicks fan. You know, my boy Chuck over here was a Knicks fan. He used to come to my apartment all the time complaining about the New York Knicks, you know. So, you know, but you, but some of these guys, these guys on the list is like, this is a very solid list of centers. Yeah. Okay. Question, no. I have one possibility, and at the risk of sounding blasphemous, I'm just, just, just playing devil's advocate. <laughs> Mark's face turned up already. <laughs> but at the, at the risk of sounding blasphemous. What about Robin Parrish? Now, he's the best I've ever seen at slipping the pick and roll. Nobody yeah. slips the pick and roll better than Robin Parrish. But he was in, was it, he was third fiddle to Bird and McHale. Now, yeah. was it because of the team he was on? Because when he was in Golden State, he was yeah. unable, and he was the guy. He was kind of unable to beat his team anywhere. I, th- I think you're right, Joe. And I think that it's, it's kind of like the Dennis Rodman thing. I mean, the the chief, he was he was surrounded by a, a lot of good players that helped that, that, you know, they just helped him look mm-hmm. just that much better. So, I, I mean, I feel you on that one. I really do. Robert Parrish, you know, when okay. he was, but you got to remember, you know, it's kind of hard to lead a horse to drink water when you don't have a horse because yeah. with those golden state teams in the early 70s i mean the late 70s early 80s golden state the only real viable name on that golden state team was al Adams, and that was the coach yeah. so that's the only thing they had on that team you know um so you know then then red orchestrated the trade to get robert parish and he was I don't know if he was, was the, the the final piece of that 1981 championship team, you know, but he was a contributor, you know, and early on. And and 
you could also you could really make the argument that yeah, he was a third fiddle to Bird McHale, you know, and would he been as great with another squad, whether you know if he was pretty much the lead man or whatever. You know, but if you look, if you think back on it, he's had some pretty, you know, especially in the 84 finals, he basically outplayed Kareem in 84. You know, he he, he outplayed Kareem in the 84 finals, you know, and which is difficult. Yeah, granted, Kareem was like ancient history back then, but still, it's Kareem, you know, and Robert Parrish was like an understudy. You know, and that's when he became pretty much Robert Parrish. You know, that's when he became the chief. And but yeah, uh, but the, you the, make the a very serious argument either way, though. You really could. The, the, the Celtics were very physical, and Kareem, you out in L.A., man, you ain't used to that kind. You know, and and you don't just get beat up by one. <laughs> the, the, you get beat up by the whole, whole Celtic team. <laughs> Everybody's putting their hand on you back. So I mean, that was that. I think that was a struggle for Kareem back then because you just, man, the East was, was uh, you know, Knicks, uh, uh, Pistons, Celtics. Man, the, the guys just played physical basketball. <laughs> it was insane to watch. And you want to talk about final pieces? The ultimate final piece of any championship team ever was Moses Malone with the Seventy Sixers. Yeah. That yes. was the ultimate final piece because you had the full, full, full 76ers, you know, because prior to Moses Malone arriving in Philly, you know, that was the 76ers was the very first team that I actually rooted for because Dr. J was on the team and, you know, I was a big Dr. J fan. And Moses Malone was and before Moses showed up from Houston. Mm-hmm. They were a team that would always get to the finals or the Eastern Conference Finals. They couldn't get past Bird. But when they finally got past Bird against the Lakers, they would lose. And it seemed like they would lose. They lost in 77 to Portland. They lost back-to-back years in the Eastern in the playoffs to Washington. Then they finally make it against Magic his rookie year, and they lost. They lost again in 81 to Bird. They lost in 82 to Magic again. But when they got Moses in 83, everything changed. That was one of the greatest postseason runs in NBA history when they got Moses Malone. Now, granted, they didn't sweep their way through the finals. It actually was full, and then they, they lost two games. I think it was in, in the conference semifinals. I think to Milwaukee. I think, you know, if I'm not mistaken, no. you know, you could check. You you know, do, who was it? Not not the off, but they they swept the first two rounds, and they were up three one on the Bucks in the conference. Finals, that's right. That's the right. Lost game four. And right. Closed them out in game five. Twelve and one. Okay. So, but with the with with this with the six with the that Sixers squad in in the in the in the, in the eight, in eighty three there was no there's no team and Moses was the ultimate centerpiece of that. <clears throat> you know, and you people forget that he led the the Rockets to the finals in eighty one. You know. That's another team that had no business being in the finals, you know. You know, with Dale Harris as coach, you got you know, yeah, Calvin Murphy on that team, Robert Reed, you know, Chris uh, Dunleavy Senior. Um, I mean, they had no business being in the finals coming out of the West. But then the Western Conference that year was 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 very suspect because the Rockets had beat Kansas City, the Kings, mm-hmm. in the conference final. 
what the hell was that? You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes, I mean, absolutely. The, the, the history, in 81, you, the Western Conference Finals with the Houston Rockets and the Kansas City Kings. What? Reggie Thea is there yet? Or not? I think I think Reggie Theus might have been, and that might have been his rookie year. You know, it might have been okay. his rookie year. Because um, I'm okay. struggling to figure out who is actually on that team, the '81 Kansas City Kings. That might be a good. That might be a good no podcast idea. topic. You know, <laughs> do a little yeah, research. Topic. I have no idea. You know, yes. but you look at but this list right here. You know. You know, Willis Reed, you know, authored one of the greatest NBA moments ever. I mean, his name has become a metaphor, okay, a Willis Reed moment. You know, when he comes out of the locker room, lock, you know, coming off the bench and, and, and going crazy, even though he scored four points in game seven and 70, it was like the inspiration, you know, for that. Um, who else? Who else am I coming? Bill Russell, you know, enough said. Yeah. Um, Shaq and Lajuan, you know, those are the guys from the 90s, you know, that met up in the 95 finals, you know, with the Heat and with the um, the Magic and the Rockets in 95, you know. Um, Shaq would even up with his bad free throws and stuff like that. He's on the list, you know, mainly because of his force and also, also maybe personality, you know. I yeah. think, you know, he, as great of a player he was, I think he had even better personality. You know, he added personality to the center position. Well, I mean, especially if basketball today is not what we grew up with. So you see, you know, more your power forwards play more like small forwards and, you know, uh, uh, your centers play more like power forwards, Um, uh, which like with um, the, the game is not as physical as it used to be. Uh, uh, which really hurts the center position uh, uh, from my point of view. So, because uh, it's like everybody shoots. Like, I I don't see anybody post up. <laughs> it's always, you know, and I think that when I started seeing, uh, you know, big guys taking jump shots, I'm like, what in the hell's going on? Um, so, that it's the, the like, I, I think from this list, that's like what you said. The, the, the centers on this list need to be on this list, um, uh, and, and that position is forever changing. It's not what it used to be. Well, it's like the center position. I always equate the center position to what the like, like the fullback in football. You don't see fullbacks yeah. anymore. Yeah, exactly. You know? Because because the, the evolution of the game has pretty much eliminated that position and I think that basketball thanks to guys thanks to teams like the Golden State Warriors mm-hmm. are playing something called positionless basketball which I think is I think is 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 just a fad now personally I could be wrong but I think it's just a fad where it's just that you playing like positionless basketball there is no set position for anybody you just got five guys on the court playing whatever and I don't Organ- think it's going to last. I think that that's just the, 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 that's just the type of team that they have. But I don't think that's going to last long. No, not if not if. Uh, I mean, if the game changes, you look. You got a lot of big big kids coming out of a college. 
uh, that's got some size to him. So uh, I don't know. I, I think the the advantage is it, it has been working for Golden State until somebody's going to come along and figure out a way to stop it. Right. Charles, anything to add? I can see that, but the big men are just so in the out. I just, <laughs> it would have to be like a truly dominant big man. Like, you know, like someone that's capable of being on this list to come along. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't kind of talk's point. I don't necessarily, I, I used to name the entire starting five of the entire SEC, Big Ten, ACC, Pac-10. Yeah. Now I can't name five college players if my life depended on it. So I'm speaking from a point of pure ignorance in the literal sense of the word. I don't see any big, any, any big men coming along that would force teams to, um, to play that way. And, you know, and to you guys' point, I'm trying to remember which series it was. It may have been the Golden State series or, or, or um, Dallas versus – no, it's Dallas versus Phoenix. They have multiple guys that had five fouls, and they weren't attacking it inside. They were still just jacking up threes, not trying to draw the sixth foul and things like that because the way that the game is played is completely yeah. – in some way, is it evolution, I guess, in terms of size? But from a strategical standpoint, is, has it devolved? Instead, you know, who knows? Got a point. Yeah, you know? no, seriously. Yeah, I question it sometimes when I watch the games, man. It's it's and and maybe like you said, it's just our own ignorance of our age. It's it's changed so much. It's it's what we what we used to seeing on 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 the screen is not happening. And I, I I think there's big guys coming in. I just don't think the physicality to be able to play, you know, uh, like a Bill Lambier. Uh, you know those older older guys that used to play the game and played it well. So, because I, I, you see, all these guys have size to them nowadays. You know, I mean, Guinness is a huge guy, but um, I, I think this it's just the physicality to actually be able to set up in the post and be and be able to play physical. That 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 is not there anymore. Yeah, I think that you know the game is taking a step evolutionary into a direction that I see that we're not recognizing um, because if you have a guy, say, for example, you bring in today, looking at this list, you bring in like an Akeem Olajuwon with his skill set now. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think that offensively he would dominate, but I think he would get lost in a way because of the way that the game is played more up and down. And I kind of equate Today's NBA to the do and and I, and I compare it to football during the time of the late eighties, early nineties, where the NBA, where the NFL, where certain teams in the NFL had this dubious flirtation with the run and shoot. Okay, yeah. and I think that that's where the NBA is right now is that they're uh, trying to do something, you know, as for like more points and stuff like that. And as you all know, if you run the run and shoot, it's a great offense until you get inside the 20. Then it's yeah. useless. You know, yeah, I mean, you could score, but as long as it has to be like further than 30 yards away, you know. Yeah. Now, once you get into like 10 yards, five yards, then the run and shoot, there's no room, you know. So I think that if, if, if a coach or a player 
of like Akeem Olajuwon's skill set, you know, that could just camp down low and just go to work down low. There's not too many centers in the league now that could deal with anything like that. But the, but the coach and the players on the team would have to pretty much get into their mindset, we got to slow the game down. Yeah. Now, would they be willing to do that is another question. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's you know, every, it's all about points and stuff, man. But uh, I don't know. I'm a student of the, of the, of the old game, man. I'm getting used yeah, to Yeah, we all of, the, all of us are. That's why we're all here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, getting used to this new type of play, mm-hmm. man, I mean, it, it takes the time because some of these guys, I'm like, man, why you just don't post up? Nope, turn around, two to three. I'm like, okay, I get it. But, you know, you could have got three points from a foul and, and two shots. Well, yeah. we're gonna we, we're gonna shut it, it down wonder, in, in a sec. Like, but Charles, I'm gonna give you the last word. What, what's on your mind? Okay, great. And um, man, enjoyed talking shop with both of you guys, man. This this was definitely a treat. And kind of overall, I just got one final thing. One final thing. One guy that we completely overlooked, Bobby Dandridge. You know. You know, I think, you know, like, you know, Bobby Dandridge was a great player and he the won. Greyhound, you're the right. The Greyhound from Norfolk um, State. In the bullet. You know, we completely overlooked him, but, you know, things are going to be overlooked. But, I mean, I just enjoyed it and talking, talking with both you guys. And, man, both you guys, man, great discussion and learned a lot from both of you guys, man. And thank you guys so much. Man, thank you for coming on, Chuck. Mark, what you got? Oh, man, no, I appreciate it, man. It kind of was a hectic day. My daughter, Aurora, she woke up this morning with swimmer's ear. So uh-huh. uh, we've been fighting that all day. And, of course, her sister wants to run outside and play. So I got one inside, one outside. My wife, she's at the store, so it was kind of chaotic. But, like, right now she's knocking on the glass window trying to get in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, Wait, nothing, great, like, nothing like doing this live, boy. Ain't nothing like it. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's it's good for me. It's kind of something different outside the norm, you know, work, uh, uh, work in life. But uh, I enjoyed it, man. Like you had me. I even took the time. I said, you know what, before we get on this, let me get online and start looking up some stuff uh, just to make sure I was prepared. <laughs> All right, man, you were great, bro. You were great, man. I really appreciate y'all guys yeah, coming along with me. All right. And once again, y'all, just – let me introduce these two gentlemen, these Charles Combs and Mark Booty. Those are two very passionate, very knowledgeable NBA fans here on the Historically Speaking Sports podcast. And we want to thank them both for coming on. And uh, we'll be right back to close things out right after this. At the Sports History Network, we're all about the sports yesteryear. And so we're pleased to introduce you to Row One an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings sports history to life. The Row One Gallery features over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, and advertisements in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. Any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. It's your choice. In the Row One Shop, 
You can pick from thousands of unique items that feature retro and historical backgrounds dating back to 1876. We have everything from clothing to phone cases to mugs, even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row one for access to the full row one catalog. When you buy from the gallery today, you can instantly save 15% on your purchase. All you have to do is enter the code SHN15 and your discount will be applied. That's SHN15. That's it. Simple. Save 15% off all your prints in the Row 1 Gallery. Just go to sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row1. And don't forget to check out all the podcasts on the Sports History Network. Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. And ladies and gentlemen, that will do it for this edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. I'm Dana Augusta, your host, and we'll be back once again pretty soon with another episode as we take a trip down the beaten path of sports history. And I will be your tour guide on that adventure coming up pretty soon once again i'd like to thank charles combs and mark booty for joining me on this particular episode actually this episode and the one previous as we talked about the 75 greatest players in nba history as voted on by media nba execs former players and former coaches it was a fun very interesting discussion that we had here so until next time fans stay tuned for another edition and please please Don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you like what you hear here. And also drop us a line here at the Sports History Network via email. You can hit us up at sports at the historically speaking sports. That's historically dot speaking dot sports at gmail.com. That's our email address. Or you also you can hit us up and check us out on Twitter, which is historically SP2. So until next time, thank you guys for joining us and they all have a great, great week. sports history fan this is arnie chapman aka the football history dude and i hope that you enjoyed this recent episode presented by the sports history network and we're able to learn some good old-fashioned sports history knowledge nuggets i started the sports history network back in 2020 with the mission to help podcasters find a community of like-minded sports history nerds as well as helping aspiring podcasters to start their own shows We have a little bit over 30 shows on the network right now covering all sorts of sports history. But as far as I'm concerned, we're just at the toothpick in the ocean moment. You know that. Can't even figure it out because there's so much more coming. We wanted to create the ultimate headquarters for sports yesteryear, starting with Podcast Network and our website, but we're going to continue to move into other mediums as well. And here's the cool part, because we want you to be part of our team. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast or maybe being a guest on one of our shows, Or who knows, maybe even writing an article for us over on the website. Seriously, all you gotta do is reach out to us on the contact page over at sportshistorynetwork.com.
You can be as technologically savvy as a Neanderthal tapping on a stone trying to figure out this whole hieroglyphics thing back in the day. Again, it doesn't matter, because even if you don't understand the whole podcast space, we have a production team that can pretty much help you out with doing everything. All you gotta do, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com, head to the contact page, fill it out. That message goes right to me, and I'll reach out to you as soon as I can. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through.